Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is, what is today? Thursday, July the 5th, 2012. This is a bonus episode. I'm off this week. I told you there wouldn't be any more episodes this week, but here's an episode this week. Uh, I have an interview for you today. didn't go as long as I usually do, but a really good interview with Holly Baird who uh, runs a weekly online TV show called Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners with her husband, Joey. Uh, Holly will be the only one joining us for this interview, but we're going to talk about gardening for everyday people. I mean, just not trying to be an expert or trying to be like the person that, that can design anything and everything, but just being the person that wants to be more self-sufficient and simply growing stuff and producing your own food in your own backyard, how to store it, how to deal with pests, all kinds of cool stuff. We'll have Holly on in just a minute. Before I bring her on, though, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, ShelfReliance.com. Innovators in food storage solutions. Note I said self, or I said Shelf Reliance, not Self Reliance. Shelf, like something you put stuff on. Why? Because that's what they do. They build these awesome shelving systems that let you constantly eat what you store, store what you eat by constantly rotating your produce for you. Put the stuff in the top, pull the stuff out at the bottom, keep your inventory, buy new stuff when you need it, keep sticking it in there. It's awesome. They also have the Thrive brand of long-term storage food, the absolute best-tasting long-term storage food and the widest selection of variety that I've ever seen in long-term storage food. Check them out today at ShelfReliance.com. Next up, I want to talk to you about doing something a little bit different today. Election Day is coming in a few months, and everybody's going to go to the polls and vote. There's also some other ways we vote. One, one way is with our dollars. When we spend money with a company or spend money for a cause, we're voting with our dollars. There's another way we can vote, though. It's called voting with our feet. When you pick up and leave one state and go to another, you're making a statement. This state has more, more for me than the state that I've left behind. That's what the Free State Project's all about. The Free State Project is a group of liberty-loving individuals who have set a goal to bring 10,000 liberty-oriented people into New Hampshire to make New Hampshire a shining star of liberty for our republic. And you can help them out today by voting with your feet and deciding that you're going to go up there and be part of their wonderful community. Over a 1,000 people have already done just that, so they're 10% of their goal of getting those 10,000 liberty lovers up there. And their community is amazing. You can also vote with your dollars if you believe in what they're doing, but it's just not in the cards for you. You can support them. You can support them financially. You can support them by volunteering. Check them out today at freestateproject.org. Next, remember, you can support this show, and you can vote for this show by supporting us financially, by becoming a, me a supporting uh, member and becoming part of our member support brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll get $150 worth of ebooks for free on day one. Uh, you'll get discounts to over 32 supporting vendors, several of which alone, like the free lifetime membership to Safe Castles Discount Club, will pay for your first year of membership in whole by themselves. You can do all that for about $50 a year or 18.3 cents an episode. And if you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, such as like a paramedic, 
paramedic. Uh, I've had people say, is law enforcement, does that include correctional officers? Yes, you bet, you bet it does. It's a dangerous job. Those of you that are out there serving this country at home or abroad, I give you a discount for doing so. You can just simply email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com, put service discount or military discount in the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service, and I will send you a discount code that will give you a discount off any of our membership terms. Remember, everybody can get a discount. Uh, I like silver, guys. I love silver. I know it's hard for you to part with your silver, but right now you can get an ounce of silver for about 30 bucks. and if you send me an ounce of silver, I will give you a year of membership support brigade. If you send me five ounces, I will give you five years. You see how it works. It's the biggest discount you can get. Uh, it's always available, at least as long as silver stays down where it's at. And then you could take your 30 bucks and buy another ounce of silver, and effectively you've bought your membership for 30 bucks. So if you've been kicking it down the road thinking, I don't know about spending money like this or whatever, and you need a discount to get off the, uh, off the fence and support the show, send me an ounce of silver and I'll set you up. Actually, Dorothy will set you up. With that, I do have the uh, housekeeping wrapped up today. Before I bring our guest on, I want to remind you one more time, I need you guys to call in for Revolution 2.0. If you want to know what that show is going to be like, you can go listen to the one-year anniversary show or episode 550 of the Survival Podcast. But it's basically you calling in, and you get about two to three minutes to tell your story of how the community, the show, and prepping in general and being more self-sufficient have changed your life. The two shows we did like this in the past were very inspirational, very moving shows, and people were blown away by how many people out there are just like them. Don't think you need to have some amazing story. Just call in and tell us. If you want to call in and talk for 20 seconds, that's fine. If you want to take up the whole two to three minutes, that's fine. But don't call the think line. Call the Revolution 2.0 line which is just for this show. I set this number up just for this show to make it easier for me to sort your calls and make sure I give them the priority they're due as, uh, as calls for this show. That number, 866-691-5353. One more time, 866-691-5353. All right, with that all wrapped up, it's uh, my pleasure to say, hey, Holly, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. I was wondering, can you tell us just a little bit about you know your your website and your or your 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 weekly show and and what exactly it's all about? What you guys are doing? Yeah, um, my husband and I. Uh, my name is Holly. Obviously, my husband's name is Joey, and uh, we do uh, online weekly show that has different segments and formatting, and we basically talk about growing your own food, using what you already have. Um, do-it-yourself, simple home living, and just uh, basically do, doing everything yourself and for yourself, um, and and also um, doing things to to be more sustainable and more earth-friendly as well. So that's a big thing on reusing, repurposing, and then also growing your own food. So what made you guys, I mean, a lot of people are doing that. You guys have uh, decided that you wanted to do an online show about it. So what kind of prompted you to do that? Basically, we had started with a Facebook page called Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners, and we had a lot of people asking us questions, and obviously, you know, we could answer the questions for them. We could also refer them to other websites and information, but I just happened to, last summer, I happened to win this video camera through a contest at work, and... I said, you know, I said to Joey, I said, maybe we should try to make some videos and kind of show people because I know we, I know how we do things and I know 
that maybe sometimes instead of us just telling them that they can physically see it, it will make it make it simpler or make more sense to them. And we get a lot of positive response. People say, you know, we make it look easier than what they thought it would. They've tried, you know, they've tried different things themselves, and then the way we show them is something that that they can do themselves. And and we like we like that a lot. We like to know that our way or the way that we suggest, the way that we show. We make it look easy, and we make it look possible. Because a lot of those videos, sometimes you may maybe you watch and you feel overwhelmed, and we don't we don't want that. So we we kind of want to encourage people because we would love it if everybody grew their own food, and we want to encourage people to to do the same. Doctor, what got you guys started growing your own food? Is this something you always done, or did something along the way kind of prompt it? Or like, I mean, for me, it was like I grew up doing it, got a job, got into corporate America, and eventually kind of went back to my roots. What What was it for you guys? Well, Joey grew up on a, a cattle and grain farm in Southern Illinois, and his grandmother and mother both grew uh, fairly decent sized gardens, and so he basically just kept an interest in it throughout his childhood and his adulthood, and I grew up in the city, but my mom and I, we always dug up, it was probably about four feet by five feet square in our backyard growing what we could, and also my my parents both were very much interested in teaching us about recycling, about reusing, composting, you know, this earth, and keeping it green and sustainable, so I was fortunate in that aspect, and obviously, so if he grew up on a farm, he was taught, you know, you use it, you make it, you reuse it, and the last resort is to buy it new. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. So, one of the big things that we we you know try to teach people around here is to to put food up to store food for self sufficiency. And one of the reasons I like gardening is, generally speaking, when you do that. It may be the first year people struggle, but by the second year they kind of get into a rhythm, and even a small garden will generally produce more of certain things than you can use right away. So what are some of the ways you guys deal with kind of the surplus production? Generally what we do is what we give to my family and our family, we do give them, you know, if we have some extra that we know they're going to use right away. But what we do is we do a lot of canning, freezing, or long-term storage, which I was new to canning. I had never canned before. Luckily, Joey had seen his grandma and his mom do it, so he had an idea. But we also, you know, we went on mine and read books. And it's actually, like, to me, it was a lot easier than what I thought it was. So that's another thing that I think people kind of struggle with is thinking about, you know, further down the road what to do with their food after if they have a surplus. But it's always good, I think, to put it up to can it freeze it or or do whatever you can with it because, you know, you work so hard to grow that food during the summer, you might as well do what you can to to have it fresh or, well, somewhat fresh um, throughout the the winter. And are you doing water bath, pressure can, or both? I mean, because, I mean, if you're doing tomatoes, you can get away with water bath canning because of the acid content. Are you guys canning mostly, you know, acidic stuff, or are you doing both types of canning? We do both. We have a water bath canner and a pressure canner. So we we are fortunate enough to do both. Uh, okay, but, cool. Go ahead. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, even if you can't necessarily pressure can things, like you can also, you know, parboil them, quick boil them, blanch them, and then you can even freeze them. So there's always that option, too, for, for certain things like beans, um, 
you know, you can you can do that with them, corn, stuff like that. So if you don't have a pressure canner, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't keep it for later use. Yeah, and I know, and I, I because we focus so much on self sufficiency and emergency preparedness and stuff like that with this audience. A lot of times people say, "But like, if the power goes out, my freezer won't work." And I'm like, "Well, if you can't get any gas, your car won't work." But I bet you drove it today. So I think that right. from a self sufficiency standpoint, that means we use what's available while it's while it's available. And Blanche and Freeze, to me, there's certain things that I would rather eat green beans that were blanched and flash frozen than green beans that were canned. And then I would rather eat green beans that were canned than green beans that were dehydrated. Not that there's anything wrong with the dehydrating, but it's like a hierarchy. So I try to choose and store the majority of something based on what particular method gives me the best you know, end product. Because a flash froze green bean, when you steam it, is pretty close to a fresh one, where a canned one is okay, but it's not the same. Right, exactly. Exactly. And obviously, if there were a situation where your power were to go out, if you have you know, something stored with a shelf life and something you store frozen, obviously you probably think to yourself to eat the stuff that's going to thaw out first then maybe the stuff that's going to have a shelf life. So. so how much land are you guys working with and, you know, how big is the garden portion of that? We have 1,800 square feet in our main garden and then we have our, and that's at our different location, um, and then at our house, we have about 90 square feet that we we had. Last year we had some container gardens here, and then our landlord said that we could use this portion of actually the front yard to grow some food. So we were we were happy about that. And actually, what had happened was we were planning for about 200 square feet out there, but we had this hotline come out, and unfortunately there was too many things underneath the the ground, and so we had to kind of pare it down to 90 square feet. So. Gotcha. But it's not like it's not you're not you're not guys aren't farming like a couple acres here or anything. And how much food are you able to produce out of, the, of those areas? Well, last year we, to be honest, we didn't have the best garden because we had we didn't have the best conditions. Um, but in that situation, we we are careful to to support other farmers and farmers markets. Um, but in general, we usually. The summer before that, which we had a really great producing garden, we had more than enough throughout the summer, and then we were able to put up a lot of canned tomatoes, salsa, pasta sauce. We had, and we also have a, fortunately where we live, we have a pear tree, so we were able to put up a lot of canned pears. Um, we did some pear sauce, which is basically like applesauce, pear honey, and then we had a lot of beans, we put up some beans and eggplants. So we had a, a pretty good variety. I think the last, I used the last can of or jar of tomatoes was, the last winter was, I believe, like maybe April. So it lasted pretty long. How's this year going? This year's going, going really well. Uh, we, had a, we had a warmer winter, which means we had a warmer spring. And it's been pretty hot, except for we haven't had the rain that we wanted. And that's, you know, always an issue when you don't have the rain. You still have to make sure your plants are watered. So um, that's our only complaint this year is we, we wish we had more rain. I'll tell you what I wish I had was you, you, the soil you guys have up there. I have rocks. <laughs> uh, oh. That part of the country has some amazing soil. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know quite know where you are located, but... 
Uh, we're, we're, in the, we're in the Washita Mountains of Arkansas, and oh, okay. uh, we have big, giant pieces of quartz sticking out of the ground and stuff like that. But we're doing well, but we had to bring in a lot of material to, 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 to pull it off. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, see, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I didn't really know much different about this yeah. but Joey had grown up in southern Illinois, <clears throat> and so he had, you know, when he when we decided to come back here, um, he was just so impressed with the with the soil quality, and it made me feel good, and, and it made me, you know, I would say made him happy too to, to be able to plant it. So. so, do you guys do um, any dehydrating? We do. We do some. We do mainly um, herbs, um, like kale. We'll dehydrate kale and the herbs, and that's that's pretty much it. To be honest, de- dehydrated vegetables or fruit really isn't my favorite. Gotcha. What do you do with dehydrated kale? Um. What, it's basically, I guess, what we had read is that if you make, like, kale chips, it's oh, better okay. to dehydrate them rather than bake them in the oven. So. I got you. <laughs> and are you guys exclusively gardeners, or are you doing anything with, like, any kind of small livestock, like rabbits or any chickens or anything? Unfortunately, where we live, we cannot do anything with chickens. Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not something that we can do right now. Eventually, we would like to to be able to do that, but at this point we cannot. That's too bad. I'm, I'm hearing that more and more. You, you mentioned earlier that you guys try to support like local growers and, and, and make, are you, you know CSAs or whatever. Um, to me, that's a huge issue and something we need to do more of. I I 100% agree. I don't. I, I that's my biggest thing is that I like to I like to tell people or try to educate others and let them know you know you need to think about where your food's coming from. Because if something were to happen where, I don't know, the government or whoever decides that, you know, they're not going to help you with your food or what what have you, you need to figure out where your food's coming from. And that's why I think it's important to go to farmer's markets, talk to the farmers to get to know them because maybe eventually that's that's what we have to rely on. And or obviously ourselves. So I think that's important. And also you can look that person in the eyes I know that they grew that, or they, if it's a chicken or whatever, they raised that chicken, and that that's their work that they put into it. Unlike if you go to the grocery store, you don't know who grew those tomatoes or those carrots or whatever. So that's why I think it's important for anybody, no matter where you live, whether you live in the city or you live in, you know, in the middle of nowhere. If if you're not providing for yourself, you need to you need to talk with others and talk with those farmers and and go and go buy their produce and obviously it supports them as well well and i think it's the thing that keeps them uh, there for us where people with a smaller acreage can still make a living because they can't make a living a guy with with you know a guy with 10 acres can actually make a living today if he's not trying to grow corn and, and exclusively feed corn uh but but a guy with 10 acres can't make a living selling into the supermarket chain. He's got to do a lot more value add, a lot more direct business. And if there's nobody there to buy from him, if everybody is going to buy from the box store, he's he's left holding the bag. And then he he ends up selling his land for you know a real estate development or something like that, and he's gone. And then everybody goes, "What happened to the farmer?" Well, you didn't support him, so he went away. Right. That's that's just it. Is that if you don't support your local agriculture. It's going to disappear. That's that's exactly correct. And 
living in Wisconsin, there is a lot of agri- uh, agricultural resources, and I feel that that that's important because that that is part of the reason why this I think Wisconsin is such a a great state because there is a lot of natural resources and a lot of agriculture. Very cool. So, um, what are your thoughts on the whole GMO thing then? Well, I we try to stay away from it as much as possible. Um, it's unfortunate that that is, you know, what's out there. I, I when I when I buy things at the store, I try to, like I said, I try to stay away from it. Um, and I encourage others. You know, think about, like I said, I try to encourage others to think about where their food is coming from. You don't, if you don't know what's in your food, then, you know, that's probably not a good thing. It's definitely sad that, that so many people just take what they have for granted and, and don't think about what it's really doing. Yeah, and I mean, one of the big problems we have, of course, is if you buy something from a store and it is, uh, it, it has corn in it, 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 it almost inevitably uh, you know that you're you're eating GMO corn. Uh, same thing with soy. I mean, those two crops in particular, you just know if it's in there and it's not organic or it's not sourced locally from someone where you know the source and you know they don't do it, then absolutely you're dealing with GMOs. And if you're dealing with GMOs, you're also probably dealing with you're eating herbicide. Right, exactly. That's, that's just it is that even if it's, you know, maybe pesticide-free, you don't know if it's a GMO. And actually, I was talking with, with my husband about this, and he, like I said, he grew up on a grain farm, and he said that, you know, 95% of the corn or items that have corn in it is going to be GMO. That's all there is to it. And that's kind of scary to think about, you know. Like, it's just it's just how the corn is, is from years and years and years and years and years, that's how the corn is just made. And that necessarily doesn't have anything to do with with the farmer itself, it's just how the corn is. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, and then, like, I don't know if you've heard this story recently about, like, Monsanto came up with this, like, they call it gene stacking, where they don't just modify one thing, they modify all these different genes, and the one gene in the corn is supposed to make the root knot worm uh, die, because it creates Bt, uh, the bacteria, in the root, which is a natural uh, suppressant for the root knot worm. And also for the corn earworm. Well, the root knot worms became uh, immune to it. And now they're having this fail. And then, well, people look at that and go, well, that's bad for Monsanto because that means that this genetic corn doesn't work anymore and it, it pretty much nullifies it. But I look at it from a standpoint of what it does to all of us in that you've now exposed all the frickin' worms right, to the to this bacteria, and only the ones immune to it survive. So now you've created super worms. Good job, guys. Right. That's that's just it is that it's just it's very ugly. It's not it's something that it's it's not I honestly think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. But what what kinda of opened my eyes up to this whole thing is that he's you know, my husband's telling me that they grow this corn that is called it's called Roundup Ready, which means that they can spray Roundup through the fields and the corn still grows. I don't know if you ever sprayed Roundup or normally who sprayed Roundup in their backyard, but it kills the grass. Like you know, throughout the whole season, if you just spray it once. So you think about this corn that is being sprayed Roundup over it that still grows through that. It's like, you know, if you think about what the, what's going on, is that corn is clearly, you know, like, I don't know, super corn that 
can withstand. Well, it's also taking it's also taking that herbicide into itself, and now you're consuming the herbicide. Like because when they do it with soy, they take the Roundup Ready soy, they spray the field, so they kill everything. Then they plant the soy, and when it's like half halfway grown, they they spray it a second time. So they've drenched it, and it's it's like people say, well, wash your food. Well, you can't wash it off if it's inside the food. Right. So it's it, yeah. It's, to me, it's a huge problem. It's a hundred percent. And and you know, people want to try to blame the farmers for you know accepting this, but that's all there is. It's not necessarily you know. There's not corn from from what I understand. There's not really maybe five percent of it you can actually get that's organic, non-GMO. But everything else is unfortunately when it comes to corn. That is, that is the situation, and a lot of these, a lot of these farmers, you know, people are trying to blame them for this, and it's like, it's all unfortunately that's all they know, or that's what they grew up knowing, and that's that's their their livelihood. So, it's you just have to be smart, you know. And unfortunately, corn is in isn't everything. And same thing with soy. Soy is in a lot of things too. So, I guess the best thing to do is is to try to eat, you know, whole foods and organic foods and can just make sure that you know where it's coming from. Have you noticed maybe a lot more of your neighbors gardening now as well, or you sharing stuff with them and maybe kind of giving them the gardening bug? Yes. we uh, Where we work, we actually are starting, um, one of our coworkers has started an opportunity where we can actually now sell, if we have any abundance, we're able to, to sell it to our other coworkers. And one of the, uh, our secretary at work, she had, um, she decided to join her group, even though she wasn't growing any of her own food. And then a couple of weeks ago, she came up to me and she said, you know, she's like, you guys have really inspired me to, to start to grow my own food. So I decided to, to start some plants. I'm going to grow some tomatoes and peppers. And, and just that, you know, just knowing that we didn't, you know, we didn't tell her to do it. We were just talking about it. And we had, you know, given her the inspiration, which always makes us feel good. Um, same thing with one of my... One of my other friends, um, she's got two teenage daughters, and they were watching some of our videos, and they had decided that they wanted to help their grandma in the garden, and they had decided to, to take a part of the garden and, and grow their own food also. So just knowing that, you know, different different people have seen what we do, and just us talking about it has inspired them to, to try their own. That always makes me feel good. Um, same thing with one of our... One of my mom's neighbors, he, um, you know, he'll talk to us when we're over there, and he's got a, a pretty decent sized garden in his backyard, also. So it's, and he's, I think he's even expanded a little bit more. But, um, but yeah, it's always nice to talk to other people in your area, especially if they're, you know, you're encouraging them to, to think about growing their own food and and they decide to. I'm, I'm more than welcome to help people out if they have questions about what they're doing or. Whatever, because I think that it's important. I think it's very important that, that people try to become more self self sustainable. Yeah, you know, one thing I've been seeing a lot of lately is a lot more young people getting involved. You know, when I was yeah. a kid, I was always in the garden, but it was kind of like it was a chore, right? And I'm seeing today a lot more of our youth are, and I mean, I mean, they've been seeing people, you know, like in their eight, you know, eighteen, twenty, twenty-two year range going out and starting little urban farms and stuff like that. To me, that's a huge thing, and it's like, I don't know, I feel like we like collectively lost our minds for about 25 years, and it, it does seem that, I, man, I don't know if it's the hard times. 
I don't know if it's just an emptiness and, and the, the fulfillment you get, but it just seems to me like people are coming back to this in mass now. Yes, I agree. I 100% agree that people are going back to, I guess, their, their roots or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, back to more, to more simpler times, and which is good. I think that I'm glad. I'm very glad that people are starting to realize that, you know, maybe maybe they can't, maybe they don't have enough money to feed their families conventionally, so they're going to go ahead and grow their own food or even they want to they know what, what is in their food. And it's good. I think it's positive. A lot of people, you know, sometimes don't they think they think that social networking is negative, but I think it's positive because I think it makes people understand what really is going on out there. So yeah, I agree. I think we see a lot of people, especially younger people, like you said, that are you know they go to different community gardens, um, and you know they attend different you know classes and things like that to grow their own food learn how to put up their own food and things like that. So I think that that is very true. Well, if it wasn't for that, you guys wouldn't have a weekly show, right? You have a weekly show because of, of a little magical invention that came around about, what, 10 years ago called YouTube. Uh, right. with, without YouTube, you guys couldn't afford to produce a, a, a basically what it amounts to like a little mini television show. And, and without the Internet and iTunes, I couldn't produce what amounts to a daily radio show. That's That's 100% correct, yep. That's so like, very true. So that's like just opened up this whole ability for people to exchange these ideas. And I think that a lot of people are, you know, when they see somebody else do it, like they watch you guys and they go, okay, these aren't like, you know, people with agricultural degrees. Or, by the way, you'd probably be screwing it up if you were. But, you know, they don't have like degrees in agriculture. They're not, you know, engineers that are completely engineering their backyard to be a thousand percent automated. They're just regular people that are stepping up and doing this stuff and have learned from it and saying, look, you can do it too. That's, yeah, that's just it. That's why, like I said, that's why we want to do it because we want to show people that we're just, we're not anybody special. We're just two people that have regular jobs that, you know, we we just wanna we wanna teach people that it's it's not that hard. It's something that anybody can do. And yeah, we make mistakes. We, you know, last, last summer we tried some different things that we thought we could grow, and it didn't really work out for us. And I think we just got a little overwhelmed with that situation. But you know, we realized that that's that's not something that we can do. And, and sometimes it's what you have to. Sometimes you have to make the mistakes to realize that you know to stick with with what you know, or even just. In general, people think that gardening is expensive, and I'm, I'm like, it's not. You can find stuff to make trellises on the side of the road for free. You can find containers, dresser drawers that you can use to grow your your food in. It's not, it's not hard, and it's not expensive. You just have to, you have to just put a little more work in it. And unfortunately, I think sometimes with the society being the way it is, people don't want to put work in anything. But <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. If you want something good, you're going to have to put work in it. Well, one thing I think is it's really important that we teach our kids that. So that they'll go out there and sweat a little bit and get a little bit dirty and all. One, because it's just good for them. But two, so that when they do go to a supermarket and they see all that food, all those pretty colors and all the plastic wrapping and everything, that they understand that somewhere behind that food, somewhere in the chain, somebody sweat and bled and, and worked their brains out so that that food could exist. And I think that some of those failures are good because it puts people in touch with, like, 
food doesn't just show up magically. It's not like Jack's magic beans and you plant them and they just work, you know, and it makes a, a beanstalk that leads to the goose with the golden egg. Sometimes there's there's pests that, that you know, beat out technology. Sometimes there's a drought. Sometimes there's a, you know, I don't care how pest resistant and everything else is, if you get a big enough hailstorm, your your garden's toast. And I think that people need to come back into touch with that, that reality, so they will value putting things, you know, putting things up and putting things by, as we used to say. Right, I agree. I think it's, I think it's good, especially if you have young kids, to teach them. You know, this is this is where your food comes from. This is what has to be done. Especially even if it's, even if you don't have a lot of space and you're growing just a couple containers, you know, on a porch somewhere. I think it's good to get kids to, to realize that, and I think it's a very positive thing, for sure. In, in your experience, what are the easiest things to grow? And then part two of the question, what are the most productive, like as far as output things to grow? Um, I would have to say probably the easiest thing to grow would be zucchini. Um, I think I, it's, it's, you just put the seeds in the ground, you keep it, you know, you keep it watered, and it, it will produce like, especially, I don't know if, if that's true any, anywhere else, but in the Midwest, yeah, you can grow zucchini, and it produces very heavily. Tomatoes, I think, are pretty easy to grow also, um, as long as you keep them watered and you don't put them out outside. And so up here, we don't put them outside until after Memorial Day. Um, you need to put them in the ground until after Memorial Day. Tomatoes are pretty easy. Same thing with um, squash. As long as you keep the squash watered, I would I would have to say that, you know, you keep that usually produces pretty easily. And beans, um, those are pretty easy to grow also. Um, and the biggest producer out of all those, I would have to say, is, is probably the zucchini. <laughs> yeah. That, that will just take off. <laughs> yeah, we, we had the old joke about, like, you know, when everybody's zucchini came in, it was like the small town I was originally from, Pennsylvania, that's when people started locking their car doors. Because people would like drop off zucchini, like here, here's some zucchini, and like leave it in your car while your car was parked or whatever. Because even with making zucchini bread and zucchini chips and grilled zucchini, it's a point where like I can't even can't even deal with the productivity. Unfortunately, down here in the south, we have a thing called the squash vine borer, uh, which I never even knew about, and they're just the devil as far as I'm concerned. And it's this moth that kind of mimics a wasp, and they lay these eggs, and then the eggs hatch, and this tiny little worm crawls out and then he drills a little tiny hole into the, the, the base of the vine of the plant, and then he grows into a fat, gross-looking little worm, and they literally eat out the entire center of the vine. And if you don't catch them early, and basically you can split the vine open and dig them out, once they do their damage, it's, it's, it's catastrophic. The plant will go out one day, and you know how sometimes if it's really hot, squash gets a little bit wilty? It'll look mm-hmm. like that one day, and the next day, it, it's just dead like all the way dead. I haven't had many problems with them where I'm up in the hills now, but when we lived in, in Texas, it was it was almost impossible for me to grow them. What I had to do was with the long growing season, plant them extremely early, and then the borers would come out, and I would start plants inside, and when they got through that part of their life cycle, they'd killed everything. I'd, plant, I'd get a second crop, but I had to hit this hole with them, and they killed everything except butternut squash because butternut's got that, that just real dense vine and they they just I guess they didn't like that or, or what have you but um, but if you're in a northern climate like you are that is probably the most productive thing you could ever put in the ground yeah you got any ways for using up extra because I'm sure you got extra 
yeah, well, <laughs> we we discovered this that you can make really easily. It's called zucchini relish, and it's basically like like almost like a pickle relish, but like uh, or like a chutney. Um, and it's really good. You just use uh, bell peppers, zucchini, onion, and then some vinegar, some sugar, and some salt, and it it makes a really good you know topping. Um, relish, whatever you want to use it on. So that is something that you can do with the zucchini to make zucchini relish. You know, yeah. I, I just discovered that this last year down at our local farmer's market. I was down there, and a guy was selling some canned stuff, and one was zucchini relish, and that stuff's killer. That That is yeah. a great use for zucchini. Anyway, go ahead. I was just... It's funny oh, you mentioned yeah. that, because I was like, that. I gotta I gotta come up with a recipe for that, because it is really good. Yeah, it is. It is really good, and I, I wasn't quite sure about it at first, but then after we had made it, it... Yeah, I'm definitely impressed with it. And even my family, you know, we've brought some to to Tullux or whatever, and they they like it too. So that is one thing is that when you know instead of running over to your neighbor's doorstep and just leaving it there running away, you can <laughs> put it up for future future use. Yep. So that's one thing. Um, zucchini pickles they're they're okay too, but I think if you're gonna can anything and get a lot of use out of it, I would say probably the zucchini relish. It's definitely um, something that you can do with a water bath canner and uh, and be pretty productive with it. So. Yeah, because the vinegar pumps the acidity up where you can do it the, the easy way, so to speak. Um, have you hey guys not played around any with anything so far with, like, fermented vegetables, like, um, you know, like doing fermented crock pickles instead of the conventional with vinegar? Um, we haven't. We've, we've, you know, thought about it, and we know there's, you know, a way to do that, but we just, I guess it kind of comes to, like, I don't, I don't know, we just haven't done any research on it or just tried it. We just kind of just go the conventional way with just using the water bath canner and doing it that way. Yeah, if you if you try it, you'll get addicted to it because it's as basic as getting a fermentation crock and throwing your vegetables in it and covering it with salt water and weighting them down. And uh, all of a sudden, you start looking at everything going, I can ferment that. I can ferment that. I, I started out because I love sauerkraut. And the stuff that comes in a can from the store is not really sauerkraut. It's, you know, murdered cabbage, basically. And once I realized how easy it was, I got, like, totally hooked on it. And uh, I actually did a show on it last week about it. And it's, it's, it's really, really cool. And, like, we grow tons of, like, jalapenos and sweet peppers. Uh, and mm-hmm. carrots, and we'll do like carrots, sweet potato, or not, carrots, sweet peppers, jalapeno peppers, maybe an onion and some garlic, and we'll ferment that, and that is just killer. If you like spicy stuff, it's it's absolutely killer. Yeah, maybe we'll have to look into that. Uh, we're not huge sauerkraut eaters, uh, but I know like I, my, my half of my family is, is German, and my mom loves sauerkraut, so I thought about doing it. I just know that you you do need the time and, the, and the, I think the space kind of also. So maybe it depends on, I guess, how we don't, we don't grow any cabbage this year because it doesn't really grow for us. But if we get a, you know, find a good, a good deal at a farmer's market or something, maybe we'll, we'll look into that. Otherwise, we do like a lot of, with our cabbage, if we get a lot of it or find a lot of it, we like to do freezer slaw, which I think is pretty good um, also. But yeah, fermenting, you know, like I said, we've we've thought about it, we just haven't yet quite explored it yet. So cool. maybe maybe we'll listen. Well if we wrap up here, give us give us the lowdown. What's freezer slaw? 
Freezer swap is what you do is you take uh, cabbage, onions, carrots, and then you let it soak in like some water and salt for three hours. Then you drain it and then you um, add some vinegar to it. I don't, do you cook it? No, I don't think you do cook it. I forget now. Sorry. But it's basically coleslaw that you put in a jar and you freeze. And then, you know, throughout the winter, you can take it out, you drain it, and then, and you add add some sugar to it also. And then you drain it, and then you just eat it if you want, like, a creamy coleslaw. After you drain it, you can add some, like, mayonnaise to it or, you know, basically anything that you think would, would taste good with it. I've added some Parmesan cheese to it and kind of gives a little bit different flavor. And it's it's nice because, you know, you've made it. You don't have to go to the deli and, and yeah. uh, buy their questionable coleslaw. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool because I, I can grow cabbage, like, in the in – the, I, I grow down here. I can grow it in the winter. And I can grow oh, okay. more of it than I'll ever turn in. I mean, my wife doesn't eat uh, sauerkraut. I love to eat it. But, I mean, if I make – you know, one big head of cabbage in a sauerkraut, I'm good for weeks, right? So I'll have to give that a try. I'll I'll, uh, I'll look up how to do that, and uh, I guess the salt water probably keeps it crisp, so it doesn't get all like soggy in the freezer. Right, that is that is just it. Is that that it's not it's not too briny. It's not you're not adding a whole bunch of salt salt yeah. to the water, but it's just enough that that it does keep it crisp. You know, and that is just it. So you want to tell folks how they can uh, they can learn more about your show and uh, connect with you? Yeah, um, if you go to our website, which is um, the dot com, we have our our weekly shows on there. We put different links, recipes, especially recipes we talked about on the show, different links that you can link to. Um, we also have a link on there which you can click to find your closest farmer, CSA, uh, farmer's market, things like that. So if, you're, if you can't grow a bunch of your own food, you can go there to find a local gardener or local farmer. Um, but, yeah, that's our website, the WisconsinVegetableGardener.com. We're also on Facebook, uh, with, which if you just keyword search, Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners, and on YouTube under With Veggie Gardeners. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate you being with us today, and I'll make sure I put all of those links in the show notes for today's show so that the audience can uh, get in touch with you. So, uh, Holly, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Holly Barrett, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Show you a better way You don't have to be Another face in the crowd You don't have to live The way they tell you to Make your own way Others will follow Revolution 
just like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares, they're living for today. 